Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I don't want to talk about the Ashes. And with me in the studio tonight is a man who's nursing a sore head after being voted sidekick of the year at an awards <laughs> bash last night. It's not the main man himself, Tony Kerr. Well, that's not what people are telling me. You know, a few conversations over the Christmas period. Uh, a lot of people in Team Tony. That's what he said. Or at least that's what they're telling me to my face, anyway. Hashtag Team Tony. Is this with, like, your family, though? Is this your mum saying that? <laughs> Yeah, ma- like, mum, auntie, <laughs> auntie, uh, auntie Anne's in Team Tony. Uncle Jim, he's Team <laughs> Tony. Yeah. Oddly enough, though, uh, your cousin's actually Team Adam. She texted me and let me know that. It's good to know. How's it going, then, Tony? Did you have a good Christmas? Did you enjoy the big day? Thought the big day it was bigger than ever. Did I feel underprepared because of how society thinks I should have behaved in the run-up to Christmas? Yes. Uh, did I have a good time, though? Yes. Um, I'm asking my own questions. Yes. Did you get anything good? Did you get that bike that you wanted? No. Socks and boxer shorts. <laughs> yeah. So exactly the same thing I got for my birthday, uh, but six weeks earlier. So. But are you at an age now where you're really happy about that? Not or really. Are you no. still disappointed <laughs> when you get clothes for Christmas? Well, I'm just ambivalent, really, now. <laughs> uh, or actually, ambivalent's probably too strong. I'm indifferent. Because I remember getting clothes for Christmas when I was about 13 and just being furious. <laughs> it's like, what is this? <laughs> I think that's, that's the moment where you're no longer a kid, I suppose, isn't it? When you start getting clothes for Christmas. It's kind of, it, well, in many ways, though. You know, the boxer shorts and the socks are the thing I'll get the most use out of because I spend quite a lot of my time wearing boxer shorts and or socks. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, if I got an Xbox One, for example, uh, I probably, I don't have time to use it. I don't know, I haven't got any time, have I? Well, you're just constantly mucking around on the internet, so you can't <laughs> be expected to play the Xbox I, One. I do actually think the internet, it's funny you should say that, just replaced the need for gifts. It's funny that you should mention the internet <laughs> in this day and age. Look at this, look at this. Like, look at this. We sit in here for eight hours every week talking about cricket then we distill that down into kind of 45 minutes of, of the good stuff and we give it away for free it's like, just it's like it Christmas away. every day for people across the world for all of our listeners well actually mentioning uh, video games you brought up the Xbox One uh, <laughs> funny you should mention funny you should mention video games off the list yeah <laughs> of course we did have a, a six hour pre-show planning <laughs> meeting where we went through all these so things so like target areas uh, so funnily funny that you should mention video games Tone. Um, my brother got me Football Manager 2014 for Christmas, because apparently he's trying to ruin my life. Uh, For people who aren't aware, this is a uh, football management simulator game on your computer. I mean, it just swallows time, this game. So I I haven't... I I used to play it a lot when I was a a kid, but I haven't bought the latest edition for the last sort of five, six, seven years because it reached a point where I was like, well, I can't achieve anything while I own Football Manager. But my brother bought me the new one, and I have started playing it. (laughs) And five days on from Christmas, I've lost my job, my girlfriend, 
lost contact with virtually all of my friends. Uh, but I did guide Middlesbrough to the semi-finals of the Capital One Cup, so, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. It's been a good, good end to the year, then. I saw, a, uh, I saw one of these blogs on the internet. It's funny you should mention the internet, because I actually uh, was on one of these blogs, uh, and there was, like, a list of... Uh, it was something like 23 signs that you've played too much football manager, and there was one that really made me laugh, was that uh, when a, a player scores a hat-trick and you take him off with two minutes to go to give him an imaginary <laughs> standing ovation, I thought, I've done that. <laughs> I've definitely done that. That's, well, it's worrying. It's worrying. The quality of the show will disintegrate yeah, yeah if you notice a real dip in quality this week it's because i'm just thinking about football manager most of the time <laughs> yeah, just making notes thinking about it now to be honest i remember you remember we had Christmas a friend at school uh, who yeah in his periods of intense obsession would actually write down the, the players and the kind of and their like stats but even though the stats changed all the time like he'd still write he'd be like yeah he's got like this but you're like really done he'd write, he'd write them down and then <laughs> come into school with the sheet and kind of reel them off yeah, yeah. To, like, I don't know what he was expecting but he'd be like yeah I've uh, found this one guy through my uh, scouting system young defender he's got uh, 19 for tackling 18 for positioning only 14 for heading but I've put him in a training regime <laughs> you're like I really yeah, don't yeah, care yeah <laughs> yes. it's interesting when you're playing it but but nothing is more dull than someone telling you about their football manager game no which is what I'm now doing on this yeah. podcast <laughs> to, uh, great all, all the, the listeners <laughs> Uh, no, it's almost the end of Christmas, isn't it? The big day is over. I mean, the big day came and went. It's receding in a, just into the day. distance now. Yeah. Listeners will be relieved to know that I did make it back from Paris uh, in time for the big day. Uh, I know people would have been fretting about it over the Christmas period. Did Adam make it back from Paris in time? And yes, I did. But I was worried about it. I mean, yeah, I, I went to uh, to Paris for a couple of days. Sorry, I'm boring you there. Yeah, no, just big, big, big yawn. yawn there. Big yeah. yawn. <laughs> you go and have a little nap. And well, I'm there's, just... there's the, like, kind of top of the list of boring topics I mean dreams like other yeah. people's dreams other people's football manager games <laughs> and also stories of how they made it at home for Christmas it's kind of nestles in probably three other people's travel plans so it's, yeah. a strong, it's a strong start to the show this week is what you're yeah. saying no I, I was I was very nervous I was worried about whether or not I was going to make it back for Christmas because I was travelling back from Paris on Christmas day and as I mentioned last week Christmas Eve that's the one um, I was travelling back on Christmas Eve and uh, as I mentioned last week I had to get a connecting flight through London and get across town from Heathrow to Gatwick. So I, I was worried that something was going to go wrong anyway, and then an enormous storm hit Britain on that couple of days, didn't it? I don't know if you remember this. Actually, it was a hell of a bumpy flight over from Guernsey to London as well. I, I've never had a landing like that. It was pretty terrifying. The woman next to me was praying, <laughs> which is a little bit alarming, saying the words as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that is alarming. Flights were being cancelled left, right and centre. Like Pretty much all the flights back to Guernsey were cancelled the day before. Uh, but I was fine. I was 25 minutes late. And I was fuming about that. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. furious. Come on! We made saying. it back. You came, yeah. You got in. I did. Played a bit of football on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Traditional game. I had a great time. And all these people that had been trying to get back for like 48 hours were still at Gatwick. And I was just like, hey, let's go play football, man. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Did Christmas get ruined, though, by, I mean, the Boxing Day test, it should be, you know, we should have been in the series. We should have been getting up staying up on Christmas Day to watch the cricket I just went just solid it watched a rerun of Michael McIntyre instead of watching the start of the cricket that was how bad it was that's one of the worst Christmases ever are you going to be able to recycle any of his jokes on this uh, on this week's show no I can't remember what we talked about was it a sort of uh, amusing observation about some nuance of everyday life yeah it's like what men keep in their glove box or something okay yeah. I think I've seen that one actually well do you think we can get away with not talking about the ashes today to Probably for a good 
well, let's just see how far we can get in. If you're listening to this, scrub through to about the 45 minute mark, uh, we'll still probably won't be talking about the Ashes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think we probably do need to talk about it, uh, at least in passing. In fact, we've got a jam-packed episode tonight, an agenda more full than Tony after his Christmas dinner. <laughs> Better get on with it. Ashes, South Africa v India. Uh, we've also had two high-profile retirements since we last recorded an episode. Tony, Graham Swan and Jacques Callis as well. So how are we going to fit all that in? Probably shouldn't have talked so much about football manager, I guess. <laughs> Ashes. <sighs> it just keeps getting worse for England down under, Tone. Uh, they find themselves 4-0 down now after yet another heavy defeat in Melbourne. Uh, just to recap what happened there, uh, Michael Clark won the toss for the fourth time in the series, but this time elected to put England in, uh, and they were reasonably well-placed at 173 for three, uh, but collapsed at the end of the first day. Eventually, were all out for 255. Kevin Peterson uh, made 71. Mitchell Johnson was the star of the show with the ball yet again, five for 63. Uh, but then, for the first time really in the series, England took control of the match by bowling Australia out for 204. Uh, that was a lead of 51. It could have been better. There was a last wicket stand of 40 between Brad Haddon, who made 65, and Nathan Lyon. But England built on that lead in the second innings. They were 65 without loss, over 100 runs ahead. Uh, but then it just all fell apart yet again. Johnson took three for 25. Nathan Lyon took five for 50, as England were all out for 179 uh, a real momentum shift in the game. The target was just 231. And even though, you know, in some test matches that would be quite difficult, you never thought that England were going to defend that because of the way uh, the game had changed. And indeed, Australia got there with eight wickets to spare. Chris Rogers made 116. And Shane Watson, 83 not out uh, to seal another crushing victory. So, Mary Berry, Andrew Lloyd Webber, the Energy Secretary, Ed Davey, Looks like our boys took one hell of a beating. It's actually really annoying to I've got loads of hilarious Australian names. Yeah, I thought yeah, I had loads yeah. of hilarious Australian names to use in this bit before the series, but it uh, doesn't look like I'm going to get a chance to use any of them. I looked up the kids' names from around the twist and everything, <laughs> but uh, not going to happen. So another thrashing. Uh, Do you see you sound excited? You're like, oh, another thrashing. <laughs> like, it's brilliant. In what is rapidly becoming maybe the most disappointing series in the history of English cricket, Tony, uh, was Melbourne the most disappointing match yet? It might just be. Pathetic start. Uh, and then, yeah, as you say, like, a bit of hope coming to the game. You know, we're on our way. Kind of woke up the morning after that thinking, like, yeah, here we go. This is, you know, we could actually get a score on the board here. Uh, and then, as you said, I mean, the, 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 the collapse in England's second innings, it, it, I mean, it's probably the worst of a bad bunch, isn't it? Really? There have been a lot of them. But I think that, I think it, that was, this the was worst. probably the worst. Or did so they lose far. their last five for six runs? Something like that. No resistance whatsoever from anyone. Uh, and then the ease at which they got to the target, Australians, was dismal from England's perspective. It's like trotted along at a very healthy run rate, no danger. Four and a half and over, I think it yeah. was. Uh, and that was Chris Rogers. Yeah, yeah Rogers got a century. Oh, it, it, it's depressing. And it is, it's remarkable how drawn out this defeat can be isn't it? cricket is horrible in that sense yeah if, if a tennis player was you know in a deep trough of form he'd lose one match and that would be it you know like Rafa Nadal couldn't lose in the first round of Wimbledon 
but then that's it. Then that's that's one defeat. But yeah, with a cricket series, when when uh, when it's like this, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Uh, but I think the real lesson from Melbourne Town is never dream, uh, because that is what was so difficult to handle as an England fan. Is that for the first time in the series, there was actually something to hope for. I mean, England yeah, I mean, were it, in it, control it, of the it's game. It's relative, isn't it? It's like if you're back at school or something, and you know, on Friday afternoon, the, the headmaster says, "Well, you've got to come into school by Saturday and Sunday," and then you go, "Oh, no, it sucks." And, well, actually, we might, you know, we might let you out at four o'clock on Sunday, <laughs> uh, and then just deciding on Saturday night. Actually, no, we'll keep you on until the end of the day. <laughs> so that's probably what it, you know. It's it's marginal. You know, it's a marginal uh, gain. No, I don't know. I, 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 the, that somewhat torturous analogy, I think, would stand better in Perth, where you know I began to hope a bit because England got close to Australia's first innings total. But in this one, they were actually 51 runs ahead. Then they put on another 60 without losing a wicket, and you really thought that they could set a target of 350-400. Um, and they looked to be in charge at that point. But then the, the, the speed of the collapse was just desperate. Um, no, it's th- yeah, th- Carberry, Root, and Bell went like that, and then as we said before, the, the, the final five just disappeared. I mean, if you'd gone to the toilet, you'd have probably missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have, you'd have gone to the toilet thinking, well, you know, we can still get a good target here, yeah. and come back, and then it'd be yeah, <laughs> like all out. The advert is padding up. <laughs> well, yeah, and in, in previous weeks we've talked about how significant it is that. Australia's tail has been so productive and England's tail has been so unproductive but we've been sort of talking about it like you know you get England all down and they're more or less all, all out but saying that in quite loose terms you get England all five down and you know they're probably going to be all out for 20 or 30 runs more but in this case it was literally getting five <laughs> down and they're all out um, I mean again you've got to say fantastic from Australia Mitchell Johnson man of the match again uh, Chris Rogers fantastic 100 got a 50 in the first innings as well and it really was a sensational recovery uh, to be, as I say, such a long way behind in the game and then to not only win but to win so comfortably. You know, they can't really receive enough credit for that. But it was appalling from England and the England players just look like broken men out there now, don't they? I mean, on, on that fourth day when Australia were cruising to the target, it was, it was quite difficult to watch. Um, and some of those players just look like they need to go home immediately. Well, I mean, you know, we'll talk about Graham Swan shortly, no doubt. But, I mean, you wonder... <sighs> whether there'll be any other victims of this series. I don't know. It seems like it's taking everyone down with it. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like, for a lot of those guys, their confidence is shot to pieces. Yeah, you know, Peterson, before the series came out, said, well, he wants to play test cricket for the next few years, but does he now? I don't know. Well, he actually had a reasonably good yeah, game. Yeah, well, he did it right, didn't he? Reasonably being a, a key word there, but he, he wasn't the worst of England's players. Ian Bell's got a lot of credit in the bank because of how brilliant he was in the summer, but he is having a pretty desperate series now, and that... That first ball dismissal to Nathan Lyon in the second innings was was garbage. And I've talked a lot about this thing of like, oh, what a stupid shot. I get annoyed with because I, I I like players to take on the bowling. And you can't, on the one hand, say that when someone hits a six, that that's a brilliant shot. And then uh, when they get out to it, that it's a stupid shot because the only difference is that it's executed better. But taking on the spinner first ball of your innings is stupid. There's, there's no getting away from that. Uh, and for someone so experienced as Ian Bell... Um, that just wasn't good enough. I mean, is it simply the case, you think, Tony, that this Ashes series came too soon after the last one for England? Is it just that they, they haven't been able to fire themselves up to do it all over again after having risen to the challenge to beat Australia in the summer? Is that what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, <laughs> I can. I can kind of huff and puff for the next five minutes on this one. <laughs> it's uh, just Twenty-five minutes of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yes. I mean, I don't, I can't <laughs> <laughs> just start it again. Just start again. I'm going to try and come in with a clean start. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I say yeah, uh, me, like it has to be followed by at least a kind of. Yeah, some kind of noise. Anyway, yes, I think it is. And it's almost the case, I think, you know, if I was to kind of try and empathise with the England players, you know, from a fan's perspective, it had been quite a long summer. There'd been a lot of cricket. England did really, did really well in the end to get the school, and they did. Yeah, I can see that they'd probably be less motivated, certainly less motivated than the Australians. So uh, you can see where the, the kind of mismatch in hunger, if you like, comes from. But then again, you know, I just... I simply don't believe the quality the gap in quality is as much as this even now i don't know you can't no no one predicted a whitewash for australia i don't think did they no i think well apart from possibly glenn mcgraw but um you know he, i think that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek at this point I, I, yeah i really don't think anyone was expecting this i mean the fan point that you raise is quite a good one because even me as someone who likes cricket enough that i do a podcast about it <laughs> couldn't really be bothered with this Ashes series because it it, it just came too soon. It, you know, it it didn't feel like that exciting a prospect. So I can see why the England players also felt like, oh, do we have to do this again? I mean, you can say, oh, well, that's what they're paid for. And that's true. But I think there is something to that. I mean, uh, Graham Smith has spoken about that. You might remember uh, South Africa went to Australia and won in 2008 and they were the first side to win in Australia for a really long time. And, you know, that was the kind of changing of the guard in cricket. And it was a massive effort from South Africa. And they were really proud of that win. And then literally two or three months later, Australia went to South Africa and won. And Smith has said afterwards that it was just the case that they didn't have enough time to let that sink in. They couldn't really get themselves up for the fight to, to beat these guys again. Whereas for Australia, the best thing for them is that they immediately have a chance to put it right. So they were, it was brilliant news for them that they could go and have another crack at England. Whereas England sort of felt, well, do we have to do this again? I think that at least partly explains what's going on here, or at least it could probably explain Brisbane and maybe Adelaide. But at this point, as you say, it's it's the golfing class, it's the, the scale of the defeat that is so alarming. And, you know, it is becoming a seismic event, this, isn't it, on, on the scale of the whitewash seven years ago, or it, India's whitewash in Australia two years ago, or Australia's whitewash in India last year. And in each of those cases, the whitewashed team you know there's been dramatic changes as a result of that um in the playing personnel certainly and and i mean already in this series the england team as you'll like this england team has been chopped and changed like carrots and socks i thought you'd like that That but you didn't Uh, i did did actually (laughs) smile though it's nice they've used 15 players so far and you'd imagine they're probably going to use more than more in sydney um so there'll be changes to the playing staff but is it time for changes at the top as well is it is it time for heads to roll Andy Flower is his time up possibly but you know, I've, I've praised Andy Flower quite a lot and I do really like Andy Flower and I love hearing him talk about cricket and I think he's clearly done a really good job for England like you say you know the, the, if there were cracks in the England team or if there were there were problems you know there wasn't time in between the summer and this away series to do anything about them uh, you know, whether they even pay I didn't, well you probably couldn't even say they papered over the cracks they they were probably still there. So I think it's unfair. You know, if there's a, there's a chance that he might be so decimated by kind of mentally and kind of motivationally by this result that he might decide to walk away, I don't know. 
But if he's up for the challenge of, of coming back from it, then I think he's got to be allowed to. Simply because, you know, he essentially almost had to go into this series with the same team from the summer. Perhaps he knew about problems or perhaps, you know, there were changes he wanted to make, but he couldn't really because, you know, there's no time to. I think it is very uh, complicated, this, because for me, Andy Fowler is the best coach in world cricket. To a large extent, you'd say, well, there is no one else. You know, there is no one better to try and turn this around. Like, there's no one who could come in who would do a better job than Andy Flower. And certainly, you know, whatever the outcome of this series, even if it's 5-0, which it almost certainly will be, you'd have to say, this result does nothing to diminish Flower's previous achievements as England coach. And as I say, I think he's the best coach in world cricket right now. I think he's the best coach that England have ever had. And, you know, his record is phenomenal. He led them to number one in the world in all three formats, three Ashes victories, a series win in India. His record still stands and he's clearly still an extremely good coach and more than capable of turning it around. But it's probably true that every coach has a shelf life and the same thing happens to Duncan Fletcher, who was also an outstanding coach for England and masterminded that 2005 campaign. But less than two years later, he was bordering on a laughingstock because he just wasn't able to uh, have the effect that he had before. His his methods had run their course, I, I guess. And also, I think you wonder whether Flower's appetite for the job is still there. You know, he's won in Australia before. He's proven himself in that regard. Was he really motivated to come and do it again? And if you look at you know the difference between the, the two most recent Ashes tours and that last campaign three years ago was planned and executed with almost military precision and this one you know is is almost a shambles at this point isn't it well it is a like the, the extent to which it's just unraveled ca- unraveled capitulated the wall the wheels of the walls have fallen off <laughs> the wheels have fallen i don't know there's any number of things you could say the walls have fallen off the caravan the England the, caravan just I'd, I'd be pretty confident though in some regards with the with the yeah, certainly flower. with Andy Flower and certainly with you know, the main a few of the players in the team at the moment as they are, yeah, and you don't want to overreact to a defeat like this, do you? Because you know, it, it is very easy to to make knee jerk decisions, but you've got to think about well, is there a better man, you know, either as coach or in any of the playing positions, is there someone better than this? So you don't want to overreact, but you also don't want to underreact uh, because it, it is very easy as well to, to to allow complacency to creep in and you know i'm beginning to reach the conclusion that flower has taken england as far as he can i think it might be time for a change i mean perhaps even more importantly i think uh, his his lieutenants on the coaching staff have maybe taken england as far as they can as well graham gooch the batting coach david saker the bowling coach because there is sort of mounting evidence that they're not really having much of an effect at this point i mean in gooch's case the lack of progress from joe root the regression of the more senior players all of whom are averaging less in the last two or three years than they are over their career. And in Saker's case, the regression of Stephen Finn in particular, who is you know, a substantially worse bowler now than he was on the Ashes Tour three years ago. Those things do make you question what those guys are doing. So I think it probably is time for, for fresh blood you know, in, in the, the coaching setup. What about Alistair Cook? Is his position in jeopardy as captain? It's, it's, I mean, it's only a year, isn't it, since that victory in India? It's only four months since he won the Ashes. So it's astonishing that he now finds himself under pressure. But he is under pressure because you can't lose four consecutive Ashes tests and lose them in this fashion yeah, and I, not be under pressure. I think Alistair Cook's runs are more important than his captaincy, clearly. you know, Yes, he, England have pulled off some really good results under his leadership uh, since he became captain, but with a good team. So who's to say uh, you know, another, another player couldn't have done couldn't have achieved that as captain I, I, I'd say 
Though I guess there is an argument though, if you do, you know, if you do strip him of the captaincy off the back of this, you know, what, what, what's he going to think? There's no chance for him to kind of win back any merit. Is there? There could be a bit harsh. Could you know? It could affect him in the long run even worse. So it's a difficult balance. But I'd say, yeah, I'd say move him on. He he's never really looked like a kind of natural captain, has he? And, and I remember us having this conversation when Strauss stepped down and he took over that. We were a little bit worried that he he might not be the right man for the job because he does he's never sort of had the appearance of a kind of natural captain in the way that Strauss did or the he's way basically, that Vaughan did. Well, he's basically you know he was clearly one of and is one of England's best batsmen and he's presentable. It's like kind of the <laughs> yeah. ticks the two boxes for being captain as far as you know as for what I can for what I can gather. So and when the team are playing well and when he's scoring runs, that's absolutely fantastic. But you know when they're in tough situations, I mean I think some of the criticism is unfair. I think. The likes of Warren and Boycott are overly harsh on, on Alistair Cook. But it, it is true that some of his tactics have been pretty questionable. That's not just down to him. That is down to the coaching setup and the other senior players as well. But you know, ultimately, the buck does stop with the captain, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's tough, though, because you know, clearly cricket's a team sport and there's a, there's a strong link between on-field and off-field. If Alistair Cook was going against the wishes of Andy Flower by doing what he's doing and perhaps being a bit too defensive, then... You know, he would have been stripped of the captaincy long ago. I'd say it's more that stuff more comes from Andy Flower. Well, in terms of strategy, perhaps in terms of like uh, an approach to a particular game or even an approach to a particular session, but you know, in terms of reacting to things as they're happening on the field, that's clearly going to be good, yeah. isn't it? So it's a little bit of both. It's a tricky one. I think he probably will survive if only because there are no alternatives. I mean, who who would it be? It's not going to be Peterson. Ian Bell to me seems even less of a natural captain than Cook. I mean, they'd be bonkers to give it to Stuart Broad. Matt Pryor's not in the team anymore. Yeah, and, there and is that's a it. There, options, there's yeah. no one else. So I think he will survive. But I, I, I wouldn't say move him on necessarily. You know, I wouldn't necessarily think I'll sack him. But I would be tempted to take the captaincy away from him if only because England desperately need Alistair Cook to get back to scoring runs in the way that he has in the last few years. And clearly, the captaincy is affecting his batting form. I don't think there's any doubts about that. It's happened to other players in the past, Vaughan, Strauss, both of whom were unbelievably prolific um, before they became captain. And then, you know, their form suffered after they became captain. And the same thing appears to be happening to Cook. And that is a huge problem for England. I probably would move him on, except that I don't know who else it would be. I mean, it really has been a dreadful few weeks for England. Since late November, they've lost the Ashes, Jonathan Trott and Graham Swan. Uh, he announced his retirement before this Melbourne Test match. And the announcement, I think, took everyone by surprise. It certainly took me by surprise when I found out at four in the morning as I was on my way to Paris. Then I fell asleep on the plane and woke up and wondered whether I dreamt it. Uh, but I hadn't. It did happen. Uh, so it, it kind of took it did a- happen. It did happen. I, mean, I was in the pub and it, yeah, it flashed up on the TV at about eleven thirty at night or something like maybe even later. I don't know. Ruined my night. <laughs> a bit annoyed about that. So it did take everyone by surprise, I think. But should it have done? I mean, given the injuries that he's had in the last year or so, was it perhaps inevitable that this would be his last tour? Is is the only surprise that he didn't make it all the way to the end of the series? Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. You know, his time was coming, but at the start of the series, we predicted reasonably confidently that he would have an impact on the series and he would make inroads into the Australian batting lineup like he did in the summer. You know, he was, he was probably the, the deciding factor in the summer. He was a leading weight taker in that series, yeah. Uh, 
so in that sense, I'm, I'm more surprised by the fact he hasn't taken any. He has barely taken. What has he got? Any wickets? Seven. He yeah. got. Even more so surprised that he you know, chucked in the towel halfway through. I, I think that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. From an outsider's perspective, you don't know, but it seems poor. It seems poor judgment. So, yeah. I mean, a yeah. lot of people have. Yeah, have I don't said want to be cr- too critical of him because you know it's his decision to make, and you know he's been a really good servant for English cricket. In, in this, if you know, if you want to use that word, I don't know. Not a word I'd use, although I've just used it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the sort of thing people would say. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I think you know he's free to do what he wants, but he's done a good PR job for England cricket as well. Yeah, he's been a he's very popular yeah. player, and he produced some fantastic moments. But it, I don't know; it just seems strange. You know, he came out and said afterwards. Supposedly, he said, "Well, we did say something about uh, people being up there in." Backsides, and then he came out and said he wasn't referring to anyone in the team. But that seemed a bit strange because. Well, I think he was referring to people in the Australian team, specifically David Warner. Right. Um, I, I mean, England despise David Warner, and I think Swan in particular has got a real problem with him. You can look at it two ways, I guess. You know, he, he says that he doesn't feel like he can contribute kind of physically towards the tail end of a, a Test match anymore. Should he have known that? You know, three. It was only three weeks ago, essentially, or four weeks ago, effectively when. And they set off. So, why didn't he know that at that point? Well, because there was no evidence of that. I mean, well, yeah, well, maybe I'm he just... was beginning to feel that, but he was still doing it in the summer, wasn't he? But in these games, he wasn't. In terms of the kind of the impact on the team, though, I guess you could say, well, if he doesn't feel like he's contributing and he's holding the team back, then for the good of the team, he should leave or he should step aside and let someone else come in. And then, I guess the other way of looking at it, though, is that if he was fully supportive of the team and if he believed in the team and and he felt like it was a United England team, then he, surely he wouldn't leave them in the lurch midway through a series when they're getting spanked. I don't know. It, it, it certainly yeah. feels a bit weird. And, you know, he clearly didn't feel that he can contribute anymore physically and what, you know, maybe whatever in, in terms of actually affecting a match. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, and obviously he's the best, pers- best place person to know it. But then again, Andy Farr clearly still felt that he was contributing enough. And the backroom staff or whoever, you know, these England players are, are measured and and what have you to the nth degree, more so than any other kind of uh, any other generation of English cricketers. So, you know, they're also in a pretty good standing to know physically whether he's still doing it. I don't know. It seems like a motivational issue more more so than physical. Yes, I mean, well, we don't know whether Swan would have been dropped anyway for Melbourne, and there is some suggestion that they told him that he would be, and so he kind of retired because that 
was a you know a, a way of saving face. You can say, well, Flower and and the others, you know, still felt he was contributing enough. But it's different, isn't it? When you're when you're a senior player like Swan, you get a lot more time. If if he was making his debut in the series and played three tests and took seven wickets at ninety or whatever it was, he would have been def- a- he would definitely be dropped. He'd have been a guard. He would have been a guard. He would have been a guard after two tests. Um, but because he's Graham Swan, he would he's probably going to get a bit more time. So if if he thinks no, actually I'm not going to be able to get this form back, then you know maybe it's a, a selfless thing to step aside. I mean there are yeah there are two ways of looking at it either. He's abandoned a sinking ship and left his teammates in the lurch, or he's you know very selflessly said, "You know what? I can't help you anymore. You need someone else to come in." I worry that it might be a, a, a somewhat rash decision because it could be that, as well as the injuries beginning to catch up with him, etc, he's lost a bit of form, and Australia have played him very well. but yeah, I, I don't think he was ever planning to play on beyond this series anyway, and if you thought, you know what I'm, I'm not going to be able to have any impact on the the last two games then yeah he may as well retire after three yeah and I think uh, you know I'm a fan of Graham Swan so you know I take what he says at face value but when you kind of compound what happened to him with losing Jonathan Trott as well then it you know the picture does look a bit murkier I think slightly less favorable for Swan how do you mean well the fact that as you say in, in the space of three test matches two of England's most senior and most Good. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's so much senior uh, and best players have gone? Yeah, which which is awful from England's perspective. But if Swan was going to go anyway after these final two games and the Ashes are uh, are gone, I don't know that it makes too much difference. I mean, wh- whatever you think of the decision, there's no doubt he's going to be unbelievably difficult to replace. I mean, England aren't going to replace him. Without Swan, they're a significantly less good team. Not just his bowling, but his batting as well, as, as, even though it's been you know poor for a little while. But before that, it was very good. And his slip catching. That in the last few years, they've lost Strauss, Collingwood and Swan, which was their slip cordon. So it's no surprise in a way that England's fielding standards have slipped a little bit. Well, quite a lot. He played 60 test matches, Graham Swan, and for quite a large proportion of those, I would say he was the best spin bowler in the world. You know, I lost, I've lost count of the number of test series previews we did where we'd you know, conclude something along the, along the lines of, well, the difference could be Graham Swan. And it often was. That South Africa tour four years ago, at home to Pakistan in 2010, away to Pakistan in the UAE in 2012, in India a year ago, he was a hugely influential figure and in some of those winning series, the decisive figure. Yeah, and his trademark picking up a wicket kind of in his first over of a spell, won matches, it just he changed games. Yeah, he was... He was World class. He was a world class spin bowler, and that's not something that England have had really in in our lifetimes. Shane Warne and, and Murley, I'd say, are, are are a class apart in terms of uh, modern spin bowlers. But I would place Swan firmly in the next category down, alongside the likes of Kumble and Abdul Kadir. Yeah, I mean, like Murley and and Warne freaks really in in many senses. Where Swan, kind of slightly more orthodox compared to those two, more limited in ability, but. As you say, top of the pile, top of the top of the rest. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd say he he was a, a great player. Out of all the players that England have had in the in the recent times, I think he'll be the hardest to replace. But anyway, they have to make do without him in Sydney and beyond. Uh, but yeah, just this final test to go now. The end of this series can't really come quick enough, can it? No, no, it really. I mean, it it really can't, can it? And it, the fact that it kind of stretches this. Dirty fingers reach into 2014 as well, and then there's the one-day series. You know they'll want to be back from 
Australia as soon oh, as the possible. The one-day series is going to be a nightmare. The one-day series is always a nightmare, <laughs> yeah. like, let alone in these circumstances. Oh, There's not, not much to look forward oh, to. I forgot about the one-day series because I was thinking, like, oh, I'll just get Sydney out of the way and then I won't have this cloud hanging over me anymore. I won't be waking up in the middle of the night checking the score and seeing, you know, England collapses unfolding. Uh, but yeah, it's going to just drag on, isn't it, with the ODI series into as well. February? I mean, how many hundreds is how many hundreds is Warner going to get in the ODI series? An unpleasant prospect, really, isn't it? No, I was looking back at some previous. Uh, well, you talk about t- tours going on quite a long time, but I was looking back at some previous kind of s- series and tour kind of itineraries. And you look back at like like the eighties and stuff. England, uh, Australia, when they toured England, they're just playing so many tour matches as well. Never really appreciated this. They'd play like three tour matches between every test insane yeah this is why you know both of them boycott gets so annoyed yeah at the lack of uh, preparation i mean just incredible when i was putting together all that doing all that work for the world creature Show advent calendar i was looking <laughs> back at the 1989 series that australia played hang on let me just get up. you bloody well missed a day Tony, and i worked so hard to uh, to keep that advent calendar going every day no, but I and I said, mate, I'm going to Paris for two days. You can take over the advent calendar, right? And you're like, yeah, no problem. A day later, I checked it. You'd not posted anything. Well, I was like, well, and then I did post something. But as I explained, you know, no advent calendar is fully opened. Doesn't happen. Yeah, you always miss one day. How many... <laughs> did you have an advent, advent calendar this year? No. When did you last have one? I don't know. When I was 15, probably. Okay. 16. I, I still... Do I still, do you still get them? Yeah. Do you want to know how many doors I opened this year? 25. Two. Two. Oh, <laughs> you must... Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Point proven. I mean, arguably, I probably shouldn't insist on people buying them for me every year. Around the world. This is the part of the show called Around the World, on which, believe it or not, we talk about everything going on around the world. And now the Ashes has been monopolising the attention of the cricketing public in England and Australia. But an arguably more interesting series has just come to an end in South Africa, where the home side have been taking on India, the number one and two teams in the world at the moment, of course. Just two tests in the series, which in itself was deeply disappointing. Uh, But the first was in uh, Johannesburg uh, in the run-up to Christmas. India batting first. Virat Kohli made 100 as they were all out for 280. Vernon Philander taking four for 61. It looked like India might be a little bit light there with that first innings total, uh, but they managed to take a lead as they bowled South Africa out for 244. Uh, a couple of old faces in Zahir Khan and Ishant Sharma taking four wickets apiece. India then batted very well in the second dig. They were 421, uh, with Chiteshwar Pajara scoring a brilliant 153, Kohli falling four runs short of a second century in the match. That set South Africa a target of 458, which you know clearly seemed like it would be far too many for them. But then, unbelievably, they took it on. They were 197 for four at one point, but then there was a 205-run partnership between Faf Duplessis, who made 134, and A.B. de Villiers, who made 103. And when they were 442 for six, needing just another 16 runs at the very end of day five, it seemed like they were going to get there. But then they lost Duplessis, and with Mornay Morkel injured, Philander and Stain knew that there was only Imran Tahir to come. Uh, and they decided not to go for those final runs and just batted out the last few overs. And the game finished as a draw. South Africa at 450 for seven at the end. Dale Stain actually hit the last ball of the match for six just to annoy everybody. <laughs> yeah, I watched the last hour or two of this test match. 
Yeah, that was that was deeply disappointing. The look on Stone's face as well as the ball just sailed over. He was a bit gutted. Never seen someone hit a six and be that disappointed. So it was nil-nil going into the uh, the second and final test. And India, you know, maybe feeling like they could pull off a, a shock victory uh, when they were batting first 198 for one. But then they collapsed to 334 all-out. Stain taking six wickets. Well, they went all England, didn't they? They lost, you know, they started well, then they lost three quick wickets. And then the last five went for about 10 runs. Uh, South Africa then put on 500 in their innings with Jacques Callis in his final test match, his 45th test 100, 115. Ravi Jadeja took six for 138, uh, but it was a big first innings lead for South Africa and the scoreboard pressure told India were all out for 223 second time around. Uh, Stain and Flander three wickets each and Robin Peterson four for 74. Uh, they had a target of just 58 uh, and they got there with all 10 wickets in hand to wrap up a 1-0 victory. So that was a hugely entertaining series, Tone. Now, India, I would say, put up much more of a fight than was probably expected of them, even in that second test, which finished in a, a comfortable win for South Africa. At various times, particularly when India were, were batting in the first innings, it, it, it did look like it could go either way. And they could certainly have won that first game, probably should have won that first game at the Wanderers. So the fact that they were in the series much more than was expected did result in, in some very exciting cricket, particularly, as I say, that first game in Johannesburg, which does go down in the book as, a, as an all-time classic, doesn't it? You've mentioned this already, but uh, you know it was a frustrating ending and the South African batsmen were actually booed off the pitch at the end uh, because of their decision not to go for it. Were they wrong, do you think, to give up on the target? They did have something extraordinary within their grasp. It would have been a world record chase. I guess it is one of the kind of unique aspects of test cricket, though, isn't it? That the scale of that pursuit is so large, really. That, yeah, there's so much to balance, and yeah, having battered a whole day, if they'd thrown it away and got all and yeah, gifted the the match to India, then at the end of the day, it would have been a much worse. Yeah, one all we're looking at in the series as opposed well, yeah, to yeah, I mean, you'd win. have to say they've been vindicated yeah. in the sense they thought, you know what, we're gonna shut up shop now and back ourselves to uh, finish the job. It's amazing to go that far and, and you know, it's like swimming the channel, isn't it? And then you know, within sight of the beach, you know, if you can always put your feet down, getting out and giving up. Well, that, and that is why it feels like such a big disappointment because if you did try and swim the channel and you got really close but then you know, the tides were too strong or whatever, you'd think, yes, I can understand why that swimmer <laughs> gave up, but it is very disappointing. You because, blew them out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> because you... Boo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't want to drown. What a loser. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as a cricket fan, and particularly as a neutral, you do want to see those sorts of records broken, don't you? And to an extent, this is exactly the kind of thing that casual cricket watchers hate. It sometimes seems a bit ridiculous that you can have this incredibly exciting finish where it could have gone either way. India could have won, South Africa could have won, but in the end, time ran out. And after five days of this extremely exciting contest... Uh, it just ends in a draw. I think I've probably said this before. It slightly annoys me when people talk about world record chase. Do you know what I mean? No. It's like that's. It's always like, oh, you know, set a world record chase or set a world record target. It's not the right words. I don't think. It shouldn't call it just the biggest chase ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'd prefer like the, the biggest target. A really big chase. <laughs> I just think. Well, it just doesn't. It sounds. Glamorizes it a bit. I don't know. We certainly don't want any glamour in cricket. No, we don't. Wipe that glamour Um, off. Yeah, so it was a frustrating ending in a lot of ways. But as we say, from South Africa's perspective, it was understandable. And also, you could argue that it was a fair result in that game. Neither team really deserved to lose. If India had lost, I think that would have been a bit harsh on them because they played some very good cricket in that game. But I think what it has underlined for me is this thing that you know, one of these days, and not that far away. 
a team is going to chase down 500 in a test match. And, and this is why I get quite uh, irritated with the likes of Ian Botham and others in the commentary box. You know, as soon as, particularly when uh, in recent times, when England have been, well, not in very recent times, but before <laughs> that, when England have been, you know, trying to set a target for a team, as soon as they get, well, usually as soon as they get sort of 350, but as soon as they get above 400, Botham and the like are like, well, what's the point? No one's, no one's chased it before. They're not, not going to chase it now. As though it's you know completely beyond the realms of possibility that someone will get this. But it will happen at some point. The way Test cricket is going, it will happen. South Africa almost did it there. So yeah, so it, that finishes a draw. But the second Test, South Africa won uh, to just put more daylight between themselves and everyone else in the Test rankings. And it was the last time that we'll ever see Jacques Callis in a Test shirt. Tony, he announced on Christmas Day that he would be retiring though he will be staying on in one-day cricket. And it was a pretty decent way for him to sign off, wasn't it? I mean, a century and a South African victory. And you think about all the other great players that have retired in recent times, Dravid, Ponting, Tendulkar, they all ended not with a bang but a whimper, but you know, it was very much a bang for Callis. Well, yeah, you can't say much more, can you? I'd, although you want me to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in many ways, I guess, you know, the top two sides in the, the world. But... Kind of like the Tendulk thing. It kind of feels like it was Callis has hijacked it. It's like a two two match series. Just give Callis an easy run out. Yeah, Ala Tendulk against, against the Indies. second team. Yeah, against the second, second best, best team in the world. In the world. Yeah. It's a bit strange. Yeah, but the, but Callis. I, oh, I, I know. I know. I'm just being he, facetious. He, he, he announced it yeah. right at the last minute, as late as he could have done, really. And on Christmas Day, when he knew that the news would get buried, it was a very sort of a humble way to end. Where does he go down for you on on the all time list? Well, he goes down third in the run scoring charts isn't he second officially in the, second in the century charts he goes, he's close to the top isn't he i mean you could actually make a case for him being the greatest cricketer of all time i mean i, I think in terms of batting you'd probably say there are five kind of modern greats uh in lara tendulkar ponting dravid and callis i mean you could you could some people would maybe say that uh, sangakara should be there as a, a sixth on that list so a, a thunderbird six if you will uh but i think you know most people would agree that there are those five and if you just look at those five, Callis scored more runs than all bar Ponting and Tendulkar, more hundreds than all bar Tendulkar, and he did it at a better average than any of them. And that's before we even mention his 292 wickets. So, you know, not only is he far and away the greatest all-rounder of the modern era, he might be the greatest batsman of the modern era as well. The average is important, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, was it, his average closed up at just under 55 and a half, which is, you know, in average terms quite a lot higher than Ponting, say, at 51. Yeah, you know, that, that average is kind of taking more up to the, the classic greats who Sobers and others mm. that have got good averages. Graham Pollock. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, going down the list, Hammond, uh, Hutton, etc. All of the really great, you know, Tendulkar, Ponting, they're all just over 50, but that's a sizable margin, isn't it? Absolutely. 55. I mean, all the caveats that get applied to... Those other players still apply, you know, in terms of the era in which he was playing and the, the bowling attacks that he faced. And in much the same way that you could say about Ponting, well, he played in such a strong team. Certainly in, in the last five or so years, Callis has been playing in probably the best team in the world. And he's not had to face Stain, he's not had to face Morkel, he's not had to face Philander in recent times. And before that, he didn't have to face Donald or Pollock. Also, how important were his runs, how many of them were in difficult situations how many of them were in fourth innings run chases etc there has in the past been an accusation leveled at him that he scored selfish runs sometimes that he batted on for his own uh average when perhaps he should have been uh thinking more about the team 
he also maybe scored ugly runs and and took ugly wickets. You know, he's not uh, he, he he wasn't a Freddie Flintoff type great fast bowler. He was just uh, coming in as a, a a little bit faster than a medium pacer and and um, taking wickets with line and length. Uh, and as a batsman, he, he wasn't Brian Lara, was he, to watch? But just statistically, I think certainly in our lifetimes, he's the greatest cricketer because he he's at least one of the best batsmen and he's got close to 300 test wickets yeah, as well. I agree. Statistically, he is, he is probably the best, isn't he? Uh, and one of the words that's kind of cropped up in <clears throat> so his workload, you know, is it's a heavy workload that he spent a lot of time at the crease over the years. And bowled a lot of overs. St- stood at slip as well. Yeah, so uh, well, he's got he's got off lightly there, hasn't he? Got rest of it. But uh, but yeah, I agree. But the the reason he's not talked about in the same terms is yeah, is because he's not as easy on the eye. You know, he's always been a big lad. And when he Didn't... had that blonde hair as well, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? It's, it, but you know, there's different ways to play the game, aren't there? So he's been a big presence, and he will leave a big absence for sure. Who's going to fill it? I think Philander might step up with the bat. Could do, to be fair. He's looked pretty. He's not too bad. He's looked pretty solid. You just love Philander, though. I do love Philander. Yeah, I've seen that picture on your bedroom wall. <laughs> Much like 2013, this episode of the World Cricket Show seems to have absolutely flown by. But there's no doubt about it. It has definitely reached an end. Happy New Year, Tony. Happy New Year to you. Have you had a good one? Has 2013 good been a good year for Tony Kerr? Uh, difficult. I can't. You know what my memory's like, though. Yeah, <laughs> you can't remember any of it. Uh, well, the thing is, we were talking about the office today. You know, and what were your highlights of 2013? And people just spout out what they've been programmed to say, like Andy Murray winning Wimbledon, yeah. the royal baby, the royal baby. Exactly. That was a real highlight for me. Yeah. And it, 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 yes, it was. Yes, Andy Murray winning Wimbledon. I enjoyed a lot, but whether it's a highlight, I, don't, I can't remember what else happened. So it's probably. <laughs> Probably that you can't really see. You can't really say like the death of Nelson Mandela, can you? <laughs> <laughs> like other things like that. Yeah, you can't really say that. Let's talk about your New Year's resolution, shall we? Yeah, uh, I'm we? sure listeners remember that your your New Year's resolution for 2013. Well, originally it was to read a book a week. Uh, that didn't really pan <laughs> out, and that became to read a book. Have you read a book this year, Tone? I haven't read a book this year, Adam. No. I've got time. This, despite I... me desperately giving yeah, you feeding books. me books. Thing is, I'm a maverick, and you know that. And um, you know, I, I like to set New Year's resolutions to deliberately, then willfully do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that is a really poor effort, isn't it? What's your <laughs> that's, resolution? That's I mean, really that, yeah, bad. That's up there with the, some of the worst. <laughs> it's not read one <laughs> book when you made it your New Year's resolution. <laughs> the book I gave you was about 120 pages. I mean, you say you haven't got time. A few hours over the course of a year is what you required there. I might have to do kind of take the primary school approach, and you can give me like I'll give me a prep book, and I'll just read like ten pages each yeah. week or something. Well, I and think you, you can just, quiz me on them. Just then lower your sights for next year. Maybe a short story. Yeah, really. Start with <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. and then twenty fifteen we'll move on to a novella. Twenty sixteen yeah. a, a book. Yeah. What was your resolution? Did you have one? Uh, my resolution was to be nice to people. Wow. Yeah. Was to because he's been a real <laughs> for all those years before. Well, no, it was. I said that's that's. It's quite hard to put into words. Wasn't that nice more... to me though? <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. 
well, I was going to say you, you won't you won't agree with this, uh, but my resolution it wasn't exactly to be nice to people. It was to be nice to people who deserve it. <laughs> it, was, it was no, it was to be. It was to say to tell people what I think of them, but in a nice way. Right. To just say like, hey man, you're a good friend. More. And I think I've already done that. Again, not with you. Again, yeah, I don't know if you had said anything to me. You've got to earn it, really. Wow. So have you, who have you been, what have you been saying to people? Give me just the flavour of the sort of things uh, that I've missed out on. The kind of like, you know, that, this could be why I've not read the books. I have the encouragement. <laughs> you see, you, you well, phone me up at like four in the morning, just going, you're never going to read a book, you <laughs> <laughs> like, It's intimidating. <laughs> Okay, you're an idiot. You're never going to read that book. So what I have to deal with? Yeah. What's your resolution for next year? I don't know, really. What about you? Uh, Plan. Plan more. Scheme. Scheme, yeah. Conspire. (laughs) Put together more wheezes. Plan. What do you mean by plan? I don't know. Just plan. Plan things. Because you get away with, when you're a kid, you get away with not planning anything. So A, other people plan things for you. It kind of, kind of feel like back in that this might be just misremembering things, but back in the day you didn't have to plan as much. Now there's too many people around, all trying to do the same thing as you. So you have, hence why you have to buy tickets for like say you know Glastonbury three years in advance at like three a.m. on a Sunday morning or something like that. You know I keep missing out on things because because I'm not. Uh, yeah, it just annoys me that you have to plan everything so <laughs> like far ahead. Like, well, when I was a kid, I didn't have to plan anything. I mean, some would argue that you stopped being a kid quite a long time ago yeah. when you got started getting clothes for Christmas, for example. <laughs> but I've just uh, now started to kind of only now tune into adult life, I think, really. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you didn't have to plan 18 months in advance when you were younger. Well, no, you couldn't conceive of 18 months in advance. When you were no, younger. but it, it, it just annoy. I think I mean, I still, I still struggle to be honest. Beyond a year ahead, I'm struggling. Well, I'm just going to plan more. I'm going to, I'm going to get a big year planner on my wall and I'm write in things and I'm going to book them and I'm going to, yeah, just do that. This is a resolution that would not be very difficult to accomplish. I mean, I, I'd say the same about your book one as well. Hard to, hard to measure though. That. Hard to measure. Yeah, but if you just want to get like a wool chart or like a diary. Get a wool chart. I'll buy you one, to be oh, honest. Cheers, mate. Because you're a good friend. Oh, thanks. Oh, you're a, really, you you're a you really good friend. Squeezed it in with 36 hours to go. And a heavy dose of irony as well. <laughs> uh, no, I do... Yeah, I think just plan more. Plan more. I mean, a critical example is New Year's Eve, which is upon us now. Uh, the one night of the year where you know, it pays to make a plan. And I just didn't make one until about two hours ago. What are you going to do then? Well, I'm going to spend it with you, yep. which is very much my Me fallback option. A world cookie <laughs> trade party. <laughs> it's, like, it? it's really, you know, it really has come to something. <laughs> uh, no, it'd be nice. It's going to be fun. But I think, you know, it would have been less stress had we at least planned it, you know, more than a few hours in advance. I mean, the last few years, I've really enjoyed New Year's Eve. Uh, had, yeah. I had a good sort of uh, dinner at someone's house last year. It was a bit of a party at someone else's house the year before. Another party at someone else's house a year before that. But the, before those yeah. three years, almost never enjoyed New Year's Eve because it's too pressured. You must have fun tonight. And you feel like everyone else in the world is having fun. Everyone else is at a better do than you. And I don't like it. No, it's true. It's exactly right. And the, the point is, I think it's because everyone is going out. Like, you know, in next Saturday, for example, almost no one will be going out or doing anything. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of whatever you're doing, you're instantly having more fun than most people. Uh, but the fact that everyone's out, there's a lot of competition, isn't there? There's a lot of pressure. 
Happy New Year to all our listeners as well. The review of the year, so in the World Cricket Show review of the year, I don't know when we're going to do this, because, I mean, really, we should have done this tonight, but we had too much to talk about, and we're obviously going to have to talk about Sydney next week. So it might have to be the week after that, which Madness. I, I'm not happy about, because that's pushing well on into January, isn't it? And I don't like review reviews of the year being in January for anything. Another thing that's annoying me about modern life is how the year doesn't actually last very long, does it? Because you've got January to kind of March-ish, no one does anything, nothing yeah. happens. Uh, the premiership season kind of draws to a close. That's kind of the only thing that's happening in the world. Then the summer happens, and summer's great because it's sunny and everyone does stuff. Uh, and for like three weeks a year, three weeks of that summer where it's actually sunny, you know, cricket's on, the beach is there, people are happy. Then <laughs> you start building up for Christmas, uh, the big day. Then it's yeah. Christmas. You know, and everyone starts looking back on the year and being like, oh, look, what's happened? This Nothing's happened. There's only a window of about four weeks <laughs> for it to happen. Nothing's happened. Britain there's had only, a baby tone. There's only a window of about a month where things happen. It's rubbish. Well, the, the reviews of the year do start ridiculously early now. And no one releases albums now between, like, September and Christmas because it's, it's too late in the year. So there's no music. <laughs> the world goes silent. Oh, it's just oh, it's annoying. Well, anyway, what I was saying now. before you uh, before you launched into that tirade, uh, yeah, we'll we'll do a review of the year, but it, it may be a couple of weeks yet, I'm afraid. Uh, but next week we will be talking about uh, the fifth and final Ashes Test. Between now and then, if you enjoy the World Cricket Show, you might like to get more involved in it. Uh, in it, you can uh, like us on Facebook. In it by uh, <laughs> going to facebook.com/slash cricket show. Uh, suggest it to your friends as well. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Cricket Show. Tony is at Tony Cover, T O N Y C V double R. You can send us an email. That's worldcricketshow at gmail.com. You can find all of this stuff on our website, which is cricketshow.net. Uh, and if you want to, why not leave a review for us on the iTunes store? We do really appreciate all of those. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has done that of late. So yeah, that's it then. Happy New Year, Tone. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope it's been a good one. Where do you see yourself this time next year? Here, yeah. with you. Yeah, probably. Probably looking back. Oh, 2014 review of the year. That's the other thing. I want to keep a diary of stuff. Not daily diary, just things. Notable things I can draw back on. Dear diary, Adam <laughs> made fun of me on the podcast again. Phone call from Adam at four in the morning. Berating me. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Dear diary. <laughs> I'm going to buy you a, a wall chart and a diary, though, because I feel like this will transform your life. This is the year. I'm going to grab the year by the scruff of the neck. Let me ask you this. If, you, if there's one thing that uh, you'll remember 2013 for, what was it? One thing only. Was it the royal baby? No, it wasn't the royal baby. <laughs> uh, was it Andy Murray winning Wimbledon? No. The thing is, it is a hard, you know, odd years are hard to place aren't they because there's no major football tournament right. so it's like where do you will it be the ashes will you remember the ashes yeah you know what i'll remember it for get lucky <laughs> yeah you will yeah you'll never forget it blurred lines i guess <laughs> yeah there is a lot when you think about it harlem shake do you remember that we should make a harlem shake video now <laughs> i think that'd be really funny because i look back on my uh i look back on my spotify this you know all these things now oh you know every kind of portion of your life now is governed by one service on the internet isn't it like facebook kind of social facebook yeah. spotify music except like fo instagram photos and they're all coming up with this you know they'll do a review of the year see your highlights of the year 
But like, have you looked at your Facebook review of the year? Uh, yeah, it's just a pre- one of one of my highlights. One of the twelve highlights is a folded pizza, which I, which I photographed. I mean, there was a great pizza, no doubt. And I've talked about it, I think, on the podcast before. But the shop's closed down now, so that's just reminded me of that. It's really sad. Memories. <laughs> but like Spotify, my Spotify top list of the year, uh, six of the ten top songs I streamed this year were off, off the same album. Oh, so it didn't really tell me much. Well, anyway, yeah, you're gonna cut all this, aren't you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, let's, get, let's get out of here. Cut I'm just that. Talking to you now, when he's up. See you next week, everybody. See you next year, I should say. Yeah. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.